Alrighty everyone, welcome back! This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you another episode of Monday Madness on September 26, 2022. I know some of you listening to the podcast probably play a little bit of fantasy football. My first week was incredible as I scored second highest points in the league and just swept the floor with my opponent. Unfortunately, week two didn't go as hot and now week three is looking bleak. I'm trailing 76 to 97 and I'm counting on Saquon Barkley to do whatever he did in week one to pull off a victory for my team. Thank God I'm playing the next worst player in the league. It's been a rough week. I know it may sound like I'm taking this a little bit too seriously, but the stakes are high. In our league, we do absolutely nothing for the winner. They get bragging rights for the next season, but whatever, that's it. What we do is punish the last place loser. Each year, the worst performing member must sign up for the ACT. Yeah, that college entrance exam you might have taken in high school, but we don't really care what they score. We just want to see proof of completion and maybe have a few drinks on the day of. But you didn't come to talk fantasy football with a guy who picked Cam Newton in the first round as a joke. You came to talk about the most interesting energy statistics and current events within the world of energy. You know how we do things here. We start with commodity pricing. Last week I mentioned that we are likely headed downward in the coming weeks. WTI spent most of last week around $83 to $85, but did plummet on Friday. The fall was seemingly related to Russia's announcement of drafting for the military. WTI fell to $79 that day, and is just over $77 this morning. Unfortunately, it sure looks like that price is headed lower and lower. The Brent benchmark is following the exact same pattern, though it still maintains a $7 premium. Even natural gas took a little bit of a dip through the same time period because it was as high as $8 on Wednesday but fell all the way to $6.50 where it bounced. It is now headed back up and looks like it will be reaching $7 soon. These commodities aren't looking so hot, but we have a story coming up that should brighten your mood, assuming you're involved in the energy industry. But before that, we've got to take a look at the rig count. Last week we broke the multi-week build curse, and this week, growth continues. We are now up one rig for a total of 764 in the United States, which is 243 more rigs than we had this time last year. Basin by Basin, the can of Woodford did the best with two more rigs. The Arcoma Woodford, Marcellus, and Permian each added one. The only Basin to lose a rig were, well, the Armour Woodford, Granite Wash, Utica, and Williston. All four of those. Lots of little changes all across the board this week. The offshore environment gained a rig, raising its total to 16. If we look at everything from a state-level perspective, we see that New Mexico continues to kill it as it adds three new rigs. Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Pennsylvania each added one to their total. Texas continues to flounder as it loses two, while we saw one rig decreases in West Virginia, North Dakota, and Kansas. Yep, that's right. That weird mystery rig in Kansas is no more. Since it was up for no more than 14 days, I'd imagine it was a test well in some new formation. But we just may never know. 78% of these total rigs are targeting oil, with an overwhelming majority being horizontal wells, though we saw a small increase in the vertical hole population as well. Lots of change, but change is good, especially if it is a positive change. Now, time for our weekly inventory report, written by our very own Nick Fernhout. He publishes one of these every week on our website, www.rarepetro.com. If you missed it, here's the important information. Builds were expected by both the EIA and API this week. The EIA forecasted a little more than 2 million barrels, but reported a 1.1 million barrel build. The build was mostly due to the 6.9 million barrels of oil released from the SPR during the same time period, which is right on pace for about 1 million barrels a day. 
It also looks like the API and the EIA heard Nick's comments in last week's report about how their predictions always seem too conservative. This week, they both overshot the actual inventory by about a million barrels. November will be a more interesting time for SPR data. There are reports that the SPR will release an additional 10 million barrels in November, likely used to keep gas prices in check. Coincidence that the midterm elections are also in November? Maybe, but they're also a bit shy of their larger target of 180 million barrels that was set back throughout the beginning of this year. Gasoline stocks across the U.S. are on the rise this week, inching closer and closer to the five-year range. Meanwhile, gasoline prices are coming down from their high in June and seem to be continuing to do so. Surprise, surprise, California still has the most expensive gas in the country at 5.519, and Mississippi is the cheapest gas at 3.091. That's a spread of over $2.5 between the average gas price and the cheapest state and the most expensive. Another jump in dislit stocks this week, likely due to lower demand, allowing stock tanks across the country to refill just a bit. Propane taking a big leap upwards this week, outpacing what is Stanford for this time of the year. Production of propane has been running high lately, and now that Europe is near maximum storage capacity, the U.S. seems to be padding its inventories, hence the sizable increase as of late. But that is all we have statistics. Thank you for another excellent report, Nick. Now, it's time to get to that article I alluded to earlier. Oil Price put out an article that highlights some of the many factors that back Rare Petro's predictions of skyrocketing commodity prices. It all kicks off with two very different opinions. On one side of the coin, we have the Secretary General of OPEC claiming that supply and demand fundamentals have been absolutely torpedoed by chronic underinvestment over a long time frame. On the other, the Secretary General of the UN claims the oil industry is taking advantage of current events and, quote, feasting on hundreds of billions of dollars in subsidies and windfall profits while household budgets shrink and our planet burns, end quote. Quite the emotional argument, yes, but it is one that the public receives much better than the message from OPEC. Despite what you think, we have some supporting evidence for OPEC's claims of potential supply shock. First, OPEC's production last month was shy of where it needed to be, by more than 3.58 million barrels, which is a pretty significant portion of total global demand. If the EU embargoes are successful, 2.4 million barrels of supply from Russia could dry up. That's 6% of world demand off the table by as early as December. Demand has remained relatively strong, even with $120 barrel pricing, and it's only projected to grow even more with China's economy finally reopening from, well, those additional COVID concerns. Additionally, we have reached another landmark in the SPR draining. After last week, the SPR contained 427 million barrels, which is the lowest SPR inventory since 1984, or more importantly, the first time there is less oil in the SPR than there is in commercial storage. Rumors were circulating that the Department of Energy did plan to refill it once prices fell to $80 per barrel or lower, but they squashed that one. This might mean that the U.S. has no plan to fill the SPR anytime soon. Perhaps they are bearish on the market and are waiting for a repeat of April of 2020. I'm surprised that our country isn't attempting to refill this. Even if we don't need it this winter, I would bet that Europe is going to struggle quite a bit, providing a great backup reserve should we want to help out our friends. Unfortunately, I doubt that will happen because the attitude in the U.S. is much like that of the U.N. Secretary General. In a recent congressional hearing, Representative Rashida Tlaib wanted to hear about climate commitments from banks. I can't do this justice by explaining it, but since it's a public congressional hearing, I'll go ahead and play you the soundbite. Roll the clip. 
Do you know uh, what the International Energy Energy um, Agency has said is required to meet our global 2050 net zero targets of limiting global temperature rise to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 1.5 degrees Celsius? So no new fossil fuel production starting today. That's So that's like zero. So I would like to ask all of you and go down the list because, again, you all have agreed to doing this. Please answer with a simple yes or no. Does your bank have a policy against funding new oil and gas products? Mr. Diamond. Absolutely not. And that would be the road to hell for America. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Sir, you know what? Everybody that got relief from student loans has a bank account with your bank should probably take out their account and close their account. Wow. Just wow. Folks, the world believes that oil is evil and its death is around the corner. If you're like us and believe that this isn't true, view this as an opportunity to gain a leg up. Get involved in industry while prices are lower than astronomical. This winter could pose many issues for the developed world, and it will likely cause energy commodities to skyrocket in price. While this isn't guaranteed, there's certainly lots of evidence to suggest as much. Some of it we reviewed this very podcast. If you want to maintain that advantage, look no further than the Rare Petro Media Library. Frack that follow button to stay up to date on every podcast, and check out the Rare Petro website to see all other written content that gets released. I think our two interns will be tackling some thesis prompts regarding big questions or observations in the energy space, so you won't want to miss that. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care everybody.